Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Finishing Well by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you for truly you have been and are good to each one of us. Thank you. Father, as we open your word, we invite the Holy Spirit to open our spiritual ears, to open our hearts and to prepare the soil for the seed of your word this morning. May you be glorified as your word is proclaimed in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles this morning, like to meet me at Hebrews chapter 2. We'll kind of begin there, drop around a little bit. This morning, I hope, serves as, as maybe an introduction, maybe a preface, maybe a kind of a prologue, if you like, to our series through the book of Exodus. And I'm really excited for uh, what God has, but this morning I kind of wanted to put everything in brackets, kind of an overarching, what is the overarching message for us? Um, And then we'll unpack it week by week as we walk our way through. And so this morning I want to talk about finishing well. Uh, I'm not sure uh, how many here... um, follow real football. By the way, if you look in the Greek for football, it's, called, it's AFL in the Greek. Uh, so for those, for, the, for those that are wondering, um, uh, I believe it's something very blasphemous otherwise. But however, uh, you will be pleased to note, although I don't follow the Brisbane Lions, I appreciate Lee Matthews a lot. I think Lee Matthews would have to be one of the greatest well, players, but let alone that, coaches of the last century. I mean, he is still the only guy that's ran into a behind post and snapped it, right? (laughs) For those that can remember the footage, uh, he's running like this, runs into a behind post and snaps it in half. So that's why we call it real football. However, I did appreciate, for those that know and know the story of uh, the Brisbane Lions, they won three premierships in a row, back to back. And uh, it hasn't been done a whole lot, and it's an enormous feat to be able to do that. At the first year they won their premiership, they beat Essendon. Essendon went undefeated the whole season. They lost one game to Brisbane towards the end of the season, and everyone expected that this would be uh, easy for Essendon. They would just romp in and win the premiership. But the Brisbane Lions, we all know, won the premiership. So shocking was it that the Essendon captain, James Hurd at the time, stood up and apologised to the fans that they'd lost. And so he should too. But however... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> should apologise for a lot of other stuff, let alone just the fact that he lost. However, coming to the next year, everybody had high expectations for Brisbane. They were the team that beat Essendon. They didn't think anybody could beat Essendon, but they were the team. And, and they'd started to see that these guys were good. Uh, all of the team, the, they hadn't recruited star players. They'd built their team from the ground up. And, and so they come into the next season with thinking, Brisbane's just going to beat everybody. But the first couple of games, they lose the first couple of games, they get hit with injuries, and it's not until they get till about the middle of the season, they've won a few games, it's been close and scrappy, but then they start to get their players back from injury, then it comes the finals, and the guys are in peak form. And again, they win the premiership, back to back. So now everybody's thinking, wow, these guys are awesome. And then it comes to the third season, everyone's thinking, these guys are just going to romp it in. But again, they lose the first few games. And they lose uh, key players, Michael Voss and others, to injury. And and they're stumbling and all over the place. But again, right towards the end of the season, 
they get all their players back, they hit their peak form, and they don't lose a game through the finals. Everyone was expecting them to get kicked out in the first round of the third year. But they, they, they romp all the way through the finals and win the premiership again. I appreciate Lee Matthews in an interview with a sports journalist. He said, the sports journalist says to Lee Matthews, he says, you know, every year... We have high expectations for you guys, but you lost the first games. And and we thought you were out this season because of all the injuries you had. And and Lee Matthews said, you know what? We've learned here at Brisbane that how you start the season is nowhere near as important as how you finish. I mean, the reality is you can lose the first five games if you like. But if you are able and fit enough to win all the finals and get through to the premiership. And so today, as we approach uh, an overarching message of Exodus, I want to encourage you today, whatever your Christian walk has looked like to this point right now, maybe you identify with Brisbane Lions. Maybe you're saying, you know what? I've had some ups and I've had some downs. I want you to know you can still finish well. But that's not the story for everybody in Exodus, as we will see. Of the hundreds of thousands that God miraculously and supernaturally delivers from, ex- from Egypt, less than a handful will enter the promised land. Yes. You see, God had always prepared a place for his people. And so the message I want everybody to grab here today is God has prepared a place for you. Yes, he's preparing a place for you right now in heaven, but he's prepared a place for you here. Yes. And we're going to unpack what that looks like. Each and every person. God has prepared a place for this church. And for all of those that never made the promised land, they went, we know the the story, right? They went round the mountain for 40 years on a 40-day trip. It took them 40 years. God took them round and round the mountain. We know there's kind of three phases, right? We know the first phase is deliverance from Egypt. God rescues and delivers his people. He gets his people out of Egypt. He then spends 40 years trying to get Egypt out of his people. And then the third phase is a new leader comes in. And Mark was right last week. Forget it if it's flooded, right? At the time that the Israelites put their foot in the Jordan River, it was in full flood, a raging torrent, and in most places over a kilometre wide. And you're asking all these people who can't swim to put their feet in the river. And the sad truth is many Christians come to the banks of the Jordan and never put their toe in the water. I don't want that to be anybody here. My hope and my prayer is that every one of us would finish well and every one of us would occupy the land that God has prepared for us. Two things kept. Two main things, many things, I guess, and we'll unpack it along the way. But there are two main things that's highlighted in the book of Hebrews that kept God's people out of the promised land. We're going to have a look at those today. What kept them out of the place that God had prepared for them? And how is it that we can be on guard against these things and overcome these things? And of course, last of all, what does that really look like? What did it kind of look like when they had uh, occupied the promised land? land. There's a promised land for everybody here. For those that have their Bibles, you've met me at Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to kick it off straight away. It says, chapter 2 says, therefore, so a little bit of a recap and a little bit of context. The, the, the epistle to the Hebrews, we don't know the author. We really don't know the author. A lot of people think it was Paul, but uh, the dates and everything don't line up. It, it really couldn't be Paul. Some think it was Peter, but the language in the understandings a little bit outside of Peter. It could have been Barnabas, but many people think perhaps Barnabas wrote it. 
Who wrote it's not as important as the message that's inside of it? The Hebrews is written to uh, Jewish Christians who were beginning to lapse, beginning to slip back into their old ways, thinking, you know, we'll, we'll have Jesus, but we need some of the old customs as well. And, and so if you could sum up the, the epistle to Hebrews in one word, it is better. <coughs> uh, what the writer of the Hebrews wants his audience to know is uh, Jesus is better than Moses. The promises inside of the new covenant are far greater than the promises of the old covenant. That the new priesthood, which is occupied by the high priest, who has no beginning and no end, are in the order of Melchizedek. The new priesthood is better than the old priesthood. And the promises are better for each and every one of us. So therefore, chapter 1 says, I I love the start of chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. If you're sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, I wonder how much God loves me, then can we go back to communion and remember our saviour upon the cross with his arms stretched wide for you? That's how much God loves you today. If you want to know, well, am I acceptable in the eyes of God? Remember the Jesus that ate with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were like Collingwood supporters in the first century. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. They were outcasts. And so we meet chapter 2. It says, therefore we must. And I love that word must because now uh, when we begin to have a look at these words, we understand that there's a responsibility that we have when it comes to salvation. Uh, it's not about we just sit around and wait for God to whack us with his magic wand and everything's going to happen magically for us. There is a responsibility that comes with salvation. We're going to unpack that a little bit today as we work our way along. It's the same as if you're born naturally. There comes a point in time, apparently for teenage boys it's when you're over 20 for those that are wondering, but there comes a point in time when you have to take responsibility for yourself and to live the life that you have been given. Therefore, we must. What must you do today? What is, what is at the top of your must list today? We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We're going to come back to that sentence in a moment. Why? Lest we drift away from it. What we learn, what we will learn, and what we will see unpacked as we work our way through the book of Exodus, that one of the greatest dangers facing God's people at that time, and one of the greatest dangers facing God's people today, is the tendency for us to drift. And as I'm saying those words, drift right now, there's probably people maybe coming in your mind. Maybe people you went to youth group with. Maybe family members that used to come to church and loved God and were on fire for God, but they've drifted. Maybe in Pentecostal circles we use the word backslide. But I want to tell you that every single person in this room is in danger of drifting. Uh, for those who, who may know a little bit about my history, when I do, every now and again I do a little bit of fly fishing. Anybody, uh, every, every now and again when I get the opportunity. It's on the odd occasion. It's a kind of a biannual thing. But when I was in Tasmania, I did a lot of fly fishing and I did a lot of fly fishing out of boats. I gave that up because, uh, for many reasons. But however... Uh, we, uh, the, the competition anglers started coming over to Tasmania from the UK and they gave us a lesson in trout fishing, friends, for, the, for our UK friends here today. They gave us a, uh, and how to fish still waters for trout. And the lesson was uh, what we call fishing lock style. So fishing lock style is quite simple, really. You pull up the boat, you, you turn it around to the direction that you want, you throw a drogue out the back, which is like a big piece of tarp that is like an anchor that slows your drift. 
And then you, with huge, great big long rods, now they're fishing 15, 16 foot rods, you cast as far as you can down in front of you and allow the boat to slowly drift on. And the idea is you've got to have your flies in the water for as long as you possibly can before the boat reaches them. And so therefore it's all about controlling drift. And one thing I learned about that was the minute you turn the motor off on the on the boat, the minute you sit there with the motor off, you are susceptible to outward forces pushing you where you don't want to go. And this morning, I don't want you to begin to control drift. I don't want you to think in those lines at all. I want you to stop drifting. Because the minute you take your foot off the gas, the minute you become unintentional in your Christian walk, is the minute you begin to be controlled by outward forces. And if you don't turn the key and start the motor again, we're going to have a look at what that looks like in a moment. If you don't do that, you will be dashed on the rocks. Paul says, uh, speaking of two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, he says they have made shipwreck of their faith. And I can remember times drifting, trout fishing, and get caught on trees and logs and places that man was never supposed to put a boat. But even as I'm speaking right now, I remember people that we went to youth group with that have drifted. And God becomes a very distant bearing in their life and we are all in danger of taking our foot off the gas. Israel started well, many in this room probably are the same, we start well but then it fizzles out and often we pray, oh God we want to be on fire for you, God set me on fire, maybe God's saying we'll put some fuel on the fire. (laughs) You want to be on fire for God, start putting some wood on it, start getting into his word, start getting into fellowship and this morning uh, I, I want to talk about what the cause of drifting is before we go any further, and what you can do, what the antidote to drifting is. Let's keep reading, and we're told uh, here this morning exactly what the cause of drifting is. Uh, Lest we drift away from it, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. We need to read those words slowly when you get home. Understand what the writer is saying. Don't forget, what the writer is saying is don't forget in the Old Testament when God handed down and his law and his word and revealed himself, remember the just retribution that came immediately when you stepped outside of that. Verse 3, how shall we escape? We're not playing ga- God's not playing games here. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And uh, for those that are wondering what is the cause of drifting, what, what do I have to be uh, on guard against? It's the word neglect. Uh, neglect becomes complacency. Neglect becomes carelessness. We become careless with our Christian walk. Uh, remember when Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus in, in Revelations, for those that walked with us through the book of Revelations, he's talking about the fact that they'd left their first love. And, and he also hands down the remedy. Remedy number one, repent. <laughs> There's a word you don't hear in church circles all that often anymore. Uh, repent and do the works you did at first. What's, what's Jesus saying? Uh, turn around the other way. Remember when you were first born again and they couldn't keep you out of prayer meetings. Remember when you were first born again and used to carry your Bible to work because you couldn't get enough of it. Go back to those days and start to rekindle the first love that you had. Neglect. We get complacent. We become comfortable. C.H. Spurgeon says that comfort is our greatest adversary because we become complacent. We, We turn the motor off. I'll be okay. And before we know it, We don't know where we are. 
and we don't know where God is. It's called being lost. Neglect, carelessness, or underneath the banner of that word is to have, is that something doesn't have a perceived value, that you have neglected such a great salvation. Why are we passionate about having communion here every Sunday morning? And we're now going to start doing it every Sunday night, by the way, in the future. And the reason is this, because we don't want to forget what a great salvation we have. We never want to forget the price that Christ paid to purchase each and every one of us. We don't want to forget those things, but because we become complacent and because we don't set such a value on them, we begin to drift. And this is a great salvation. And this salvation becomes even greater when we remember and reflect upon what it is that we have escaped. Romans Romans chapter 1 speaks about two places that men occupy. You are either under God's wrath or you are in Christ. If you're looking for a physical analogy, here's the simple way to understand. You are either outside waiting for the floodwaters to come and ravage you or you're inside the ark. Jesus is God's ark in the New Testament. The place where you can be enclosed and safe from his judgment. Every single person that is not inside that ark is in imminent danger. The greatest fear I have is falling into the hands of the living God and not being clothed in the robes of righteousness that Jesus has given me. But how greater peril for those that know and understand and drift away. Oh, good morning to you too, Pastor. God's not playing games. Because your next door neighbour that doesn't know Jesus could die of a heart attack tomorrow and there's eternal consequences for that. Today is the day of salvation. I love how the Bible makes everything so imminent. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's a great salvation because of what we have escaped. But uh, uh, there are two main reasons uh, that I love the gospel and I love this salvation. Reason number one, for its enormous profound depth. That it is, it is this wonderful salvation that does such a deep transforming work upon the hearts and lives of people. I get a front row seat of seeing God transforming people uh, into the image of his son on a daily basis. And it is a great privilege. But the depth of this salvation. And the other one I love is the breadth. That nobody is now excluded from this wonderful salvation. Friends, we should not be able to share in this. But Jesus has broken down the walls and opened the floodgates that we all may Come in. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Neglect is the greatest cause, becoming careless, allowing this great salvation to lose its value. So what is the antidote? How is it that we can guard ourselves against drifting? We were given that in the first line. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. And that phrase in the Greek, to pay closer attention, is to take heed of. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's about a refocus, but I love it because what it, what it really means is to set course for. A lot of nautical terms, by the way, in the book of Hebrews, but it, it means to set course, to, to, to have an intended target and to set your course. And I remember when I was in Tasmania fly fishing, and uh, every year, uh, around about the start of June, which is the close of the season, they close the trout season down for three months so they can go and do their business. But uh, just as they do that, there's, there's a huge lake in Tasmania called the Great Lake. 
and it is huge for those that have been there. It's a massive lake, and uh, there used to be a river that flows from there to another lake called Augusta. And Augusta is the gateway to 3,000 lakes. And all of the trout every year, they want to make their way up to Lake Augusta, do their business up in all of these lakes, and then they go back down the Great Lake. And, and so prominent was it that they had to build a concrete canal when they put the hydroelectric system in. And so you can turn up for what they call Lyoweenies, Trout Day. Uh, and for every fly, I don't think fly fishermen go anymore because it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see 10-pound-plus trout swimming up that canal. And you're thinking, where were you? Where, where were you two months ago? But for those that have watched the wildlife documentaries uh, of the salmon and so forth, these guys just get a fixation in their mind. Talk about the mysteries in creation. There is a switch that you flick inside of these fish, and I don't know what that switch is, but there is a, they will go from ravaging food one day to the very next day, a, a switch is flicked, and you can dangle whatever you like in front of them, and they just straight past. Apart from a fishing net if they're going up the canal. That's illegal, correct. (laughs) But what those fish display is, I've set course. You can dangle whatever you like in front of me, but I have set my course. And if you've watched the wildlife documentaries, I mean, these salmon over in Canada and uh, Alaska, these places like that, (laughs) thank you. But for those that have watched the documentaries, these fish, they go from deep water, it gets shallower, it gets smaller, it gets tighter, they're jumping waterfalls, they're going past bears. Nothing deters them. That's the recommendation here. Set your course for Jesus. Set your course for what it is that God has prepared for you and don't let the enemy rob you and knock you off course. How many know that the spiritual life is so often like these fish and so often the enemy likes to dangle things in front of us as we're trying to make our way? And the beautiful truth is that uh, Jesus has gone before us and made the way. The antidote to drifting is to pay closer attention to what to the word of God. That's our commitment here. If you come on a Sunday night, if you are in Kids Rock, if you come to uh, life groups, whatever it is, our intention is that we're going to pay closer attention to God's word. Why? Because it stops us drifting. Many hundreds of thousands of God's people drifted in the wilderness and they paid the price. The sad thing is that when we, when we look at the tabernacle and when we look at the temple, that God's presence is waiting behind the veil, but so many of us never go past the outer court. Yeah. We, we become complacent and we just drift away. Coming over to, to chapter 3. We now come to the second thing. The, this one is probably the most prominent one, but if we read from verse 12, actually I'll read from verse 7, which is a quote from the Old Testament. Chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
as in the rebellion, on the day of testing, that's the day of provocation. It's when they provoked God by their unbelief. In the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. I love the words of Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray says, the most prominent thing in our intercourse with God, it's all about the hearts. They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. What is that rest? And uh, before we finish today, we're going to answer that question. And we're also going to come to the greatest invitation that uh, one of the, the Bible holds, particularly the New Testament. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And what we see is that uh, many in Israel had what they call an unbelieving heart. An unbelieving heart is a heart that has fallen away from God and began to live in the flesh. An unbelieving heart is a heart that has allowed sin to harden their heart against the leading of the Holy Spirit. I love the words of C.H. Spurgeon. He says, as the sun... The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. So often God's word, which melts some hearts, hardens others. Which one best describes you today? Does God's word bounce off your hearts? Or do you have a heart that is receptive to his word and to his leading? They had an unbelieving heart. What is the antidote for that? We're going to have a look at that. It's interesting what comes next in these verses, but... Uh, throughout all of the Old Testament and leading into the New Testament, you will find that the message that Christ had was a message that was all about the heart. Uh, uh, recently, I was reading uh, 1 Chronicles, and I was reading the account of David and how he handed over to Solomon. Now, talk about a guy that starts well but finishes poorly. Have a look at the life yeah. of Solomon, right? But uh, I love David's prayer uh, for his son. He's, before he hands over, he says, God, may you grant him an upright heart. Man, there's some profound profundity in that statement. And give him a whole heart. Yeah. And the term whole heart means to be single. And so... Uh, what we find is that uh, Solomon starts off really well. Uh, David's made all the provisions for the temple and, and all those things. He, he builds the temple. Uh, he, he prays that prayer that we've all, we all know, right? Uh, what's the one thing you want, Solomon? Well, just give me wisdom to lead your people. Well, because you didn't ask for riches and, and God gives him all of those things. And he starts really well, but we know that his heart, his heart becomes divided. And because of all of his wives, they, they take him away to to the practices of the lands around them. And, and Solomon is led astray. And, and an unbelieving heart is a divided heart. It is the double-minded man that James talks about. James talks about a double-minded man or a two-souled man. It means you have two souls. You, you, and what kept them out of God's best for them was, it wasn't that they didn't love God. It wasn't that they didn't want to follow God. It's just they wanted all of God and all of the world at the same time. Uh, we want to have God, but we want to have our sin as well. We, 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 we want to compromise and negotiate with God. We want to, we want to be able to, f to feel however we want to feel. We want to be able to do whatever we want to do, but then we still want all the benefits of a relationship with God. And that doesn't work. The whole 40 years in the wilderness, we're going to see this unpack. The whole 40 years is God trying to get everything else out of their heart 
to the point where he is the only one that occupies their heart. And that is the same process for us. My question to you today, before we go any further, is will you die in the wilderness? Or will you set a course for the place that God has prepared for you? I love what comes next. We see this in the first church. And I'm going to unpack what this next verse is all about, but it's my heart and it's our vision as an eldership and a leadership here. It's our vision that this church would move to this place. I love these words because there's a contrast that's coming. Listen to the verse 12 again. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Leading you to, to fall away from the living God. Now comes a contrast. But, but, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I love the profundity that that verse unpacks, because that word exhort is the same word we use uh, to speak of the Holy Spirit, of one that comes alongside. And what this is, I, I can only describe this as what is best described as congregational pastoring. It's where you don't rely on me to do all the pastoring. It's where we're pastoring each other. Conversations begin to change. They sound a little bit like this. Instead of coming to the leadership and saying, you know what, I haven't seen such and such for a few weeks. Do you know where they are? The conversation changes to, you know what, I hadn't seen such and such for a few weeks. I gave them a call. Uh, They were struggling and we're meeting up and we're going to pray. That's what congregational pastoring sounds like. And we see that in the book of Acts. Nobody slipped through the cracks. Why? Because everybody had everybody's back. And you say, yeah, but how does that stop us from unbelieving? How does, how does that stop us from becoming hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Sins like mushrooms, thrives in the dark and feeds on crap. <laughs> this is why we have men's meetings here on a Monday night. The group may be small, but it's accountable. Why? Because men feel comfortable enough to say, I'm struggling, and they put it out on the table. The minute you put sin on the table, the minute you put addictions on the table, the minute you put your challenges and your struggles on the table, they shrivel up. It's what John calls in his first chapter, walking in the light. It's walking transparently. It's walking accountably. It's realising, you know what? I haven't got it all together. We actually need each other. In fact, the first chapter of 1 John says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then his, the blood of his son cleanses us, present participle, cleanses us continuously from all unrighteousness. Wow. What does that mean? If we walk accountable and transparent amongst each other, I'm not telling you, I'm not, don't turn to the person next to you and tell you your deepest, deepest, darkest secrets. It's all right, Ross, Sir already knows them. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living accountable and transparent. You don't even have to name it, but at least be vulnerable enough and at least be humble enough to sit before your brothers and sisters and say, I'm struggling, I need prayer. It's where life groups are a bonus, right? Because you're meeting up with each other all through the week as well. And sin doesn't allow to take root in our hearts and to divide us. 
The double-minded man, says James, needn't think he will receive anything from God. He goes on in chapter 4 and says the same word again, uh, double-minded. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We all love that verse, don't we? But there's a clause or a couple of clauses after it. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, stop loving the world and God at the same time. Get rid of the world and just love God. Why is it so important? Verse 19. So we see that they are unable to enter. They are unable to enter because of their unbelief. Unbelief is where we begin to transfer all of our trust, all of our reliance, and all of our faith in what is seen instead of what is unseen. Unbelief looks like I can do this myself. Unbelief looks like I've got this God. Unbelief looks like it's not as bad as it looks. Unbelief looks like I'm justifying my sins and I'm closing the closet door so God can't see them. He knows he's in the closet. Faith looks like I trust you, God. I'm going to do the best I can, but I trust you. This good news this morning. Exodus will give us good news, and I believe God is leading us after Exodus to go straight into the first chapters of Joshua. I think it's going to be important that we do that. But I love this promise, and I want to finish here. I'm going to ask Stu if he can come and play because I just want to finish here this morning it says chapter 4 verse 1 says therefore while the promise of entering his rest still stands let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it what is this rest what does it look like what is this place that God has prepared for us Uh, uh, many will know that I I like kayak fishing when I got up here I couldn't fish from the shore anymore so I had to buy a kayak and so we bought a kayak first kayaks we bought we used to paddle everywhere and we used to come back absolutely knackered. And so I sat down on Google Earth and thought I'd do an experiment. And I actually measured on this particular lake that we fished how far we'd... It was 7Ks to the place where we started fishing. We're, we're paddling up 7Ks. And then, of course, it's 7Ks back, right? And it's probably 5Ks of darting around the place, uh, not trying to make up your mind where you want to go. And, and, man, it was exhausting, but we got the job done. Right? Maybe that sounds like you here this morning. Maybe you're saying like, you know what? Whew, this Christianity thing, it's exhausting, man. I'm getting the job done, but it's, it's exhausting. But then by God's grace and mercy, hallelujah for Minn Kota, who invented electric motors. And I, I conveniently had a hole positioned in my kayak that I put a motor through. And you know what? Now I do all of that same stuff. Now I go 7Ks up before I start fishing. I do all of that travelling around, but now I'm doing it under somebody else's power. You see, when they went into the promised land, when they occupied that land, we might think, oh, finally, all of their trials, all of their suffering, all of their battles stopped. No, they just begun. They had to fight to occupy the land. They had to fight to keep the land. But when they entered into the promised land, they were fighting with a different power. I mean, these guys took the city of Jericho just by walking around the city. Maybe we should do some more prayer walks. Get out the shafars and let's go for a prayer walk. I'm kidding. But 
Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on, on you, he says, because my, my yoke is light and easy. What's he saying? Everything you're trying to do, do it with my power. I've paved the way. I've won the victory. I've given you the badge of authority. You don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to struggle anymore. Jesus is our Minn Kota motor. What I love about the promised land is, you know, what we see in the wilderness was that God tented with them, but in the promised land they built a temple. God said, I'm going to dwell. I wonder if we can just sit for a moment. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I've been drifting for some time. Maybe maybe you're sitting here going, you know what, I, I feel dry. I feel like I'm in the middle of the wilderness. You know, in the middle of the wilderness, God made water come from rocks. In the middle of the wilderness, they ate food every morning that they never worked for. In the middle of the wilderness, God's presence was still right there. I want to tell you that God's prepared a place for each and every person here this morning. And may we not let drifting and a divided heart come and steal that away from us. I'm going to pray, and if you need prayer this morning, then we'd love to pray with you. The leadership team. The eldership are here and we'd love to pray with you if you need prayer this morning. But I'm asking everyone in this church to come on a journey with me as we go through the book of Exodus. To come on a journey to the place that God has for us as a church. I believe where we have been and where we are now is not where God has for us, but that he is taking us to a place that he has prepared. I believe that for every person that's sitting in this room, that God has more for you. So I'm asking you to come on a journey with me. I'm asking you to to allow his word and the Holy Spirit to penetrate your hearts and do the work that is necessary. Father, as we sit before you this morning, We just recognise and acknowledge that you are the one that parted the the waters for each one of us. I pray, Lord, that you would take each one of us forward, that you would continue to move us to the place that you have prepared. I pray that the enemy would get his hands off your people. I pray for those that are drifting here this morning that today would be the day they start the key again, Lord, and begin to set course. I pray for those that may have a divided heart, and isn't that all of us at some time, Lord? I pray that you would sanctify yourself as holy in our hearts, that you would be the treasured possession that we hold, Lord.
Father, we thank you and we glorify you. Jesus, we are, we are so thankful this morning for all that you've done for us. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.